Welcome to Going Back, a rewatch podcast about the television show Lost, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Olivia Hydar. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a podcast that has always been called Going Back, a Lost yes. rewatch podcast. I'm Adam Todd Brown. Hi. Yes, I'm Olivia Hydar. We I've are, also always only ever been called Olivia Hydar. Right. We definitely didn't have to change the name of this podcast. It's always no. been called Going Back. Yep. And like we always do about this time, we are talking about the TV show Lost, episode three and four is what Hell we're yeah. talking about here on episode two. I don't know if people have pieced that together yet. I mean, mm. obviously we did it on the with the pilot episode, we covered two episodes. Right, we did, we did, we covered two. We were kind of back and forth. We may do one at a time in the future. We'll see how it goes, but. Yeah, once we get into the shorter seasons, we might do some episodes, because there's some important episodes in those later seasons. There's some stuff that have, uh, like, I would say, some more interesting things to discuss in than, like, say, Tabula Raza. Right. (laughs) Like, which is maybe not, the deepest episode of the entire series. No, it's almost kind of a throwaway episode. Not a throwaway, but it's right. it's Kate's backstory. I looked it up. It's actually Tabula Rasa. Oh, Tabula Rasa. Yes. Okay. It is Latin for blank slate. Uh, yeah, yes. And, you know, that's kind of the whole philosophy behind the show. Uh, they're kind of laying all their cards out of the table early on yeah. with regards to the themes. Starting over. Fresh start. We could have called this podcast Starting Over, too. We could. Yeah, that would have really, I think, made sense. Yeah, we should have We should have talked about this before. I still right. like going back. <laughs> Good enough. I think going back is better. I landed. Think it's better. So, yeah, we're talking about episode three and episode four from season right. one. Episode three is called Tabula Rasa. Episode mm-hmm. four is called walkabout yes and whereas episode three is kind of meh walkabout is one of the best episodes of lost it's fantastic absolutely especially like it's just an early indicator of the potential that the series has for storytelling that's why i think especially these two episodes kind of pair really well together when you're talking because they kind of you know tabula raza I, it's funny. I'm going to keep calling it that. <laughs> no, that, that's my whole lie. MO help on, it. on podcasts is I, I will ignore a pronunciation. <laughs> I just, I just can't I will help adre- it. I will address it just like you have. Sure. And then like the, the guy in South Carolina who killed his wife and kids, mm. Alex Murdaw to me. Thank you. It's actually okay. Murdoch, but that's not how I was pronouncing it when I researched it. So interesting. Yeah, I didn't know about that. Too bad. Uh, so yeah, Tabula so. Raza. <laughs> I don't think of it as the third episode. It kind of tripped me up when we we're talking about them because uh, Tabula, like I think of the pilot, the two part pilot, so much as even though in the episode order they're episodes one and two, they are like a single thing very much so i always think of tabula rasa as episode two and it is such a classic episode two from like the pre-streaming age of television where they would make the pilot as like its own separate entity and then that would decide whether it gets picked up for an episode order and then the second episode kind of has to restate a lot of the very basic elements of the plot for people who are just tuning in, you know, right. to start with the with the second episode and not the first. And so by its nature, it's hard for a second episode to like tread a bunch of new ground and do a lot of very interesting things. I mean, you know, the stuff with Kate's backstory is, you know, it's telling us stuff, but there's nothing really crucial it, being revealed. There's nothing crucial and there's nothing really new. It just kind of drives home the point that she's like a criminal with a heart of gold. Right, exactly. Like, there's just more of that in her backstory. It's one of the weakest Kate backstories uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. And it is just because it's all just her and this farmer. She met a nice guy who's nice, but turned her in. And that's like it. And you know she's going to fuck him in some way. And I don't don't mean like... 
she's no, yeah, like she's no, gonna she's fuck not him gonna over. fuck. Like right. I, there's, it's never hinted at that she's like gonna sleep with him. No, I don't mean no. that. But you can tell it's not gonna end well for this farmer. Right. Exactly. Like, Kids. Thing, things are gonna go bad. Right. So it's kind of a predictable episode, yeah. Yeah. which you wouldn't expect it to be that predictable this early on in the show, but. It kind of, I don't know if it was so predictable then. Like, I don't know the first time yeah. you watch it. Because the second episode, too, like, upon rewatch, a lot of the allusions they're making to John oh, about predicament, yeah. like, they're really easy to spot. But the first time you watch it, like, once you finally see that reveal, you're like, oh. Right. I didn't know no, that. No, and, 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 like, absolutely, like, I don't think it's necessarily you know, on your first watch predictable. I don't know if that's like what I, yeah. how I would describe it. It's just like, you know, you're get you're just kind of, it's very basic. It's, it's just like, you know, the it's, it, it, it's not like walkabout again, these, these episodes are just a great kind of compare and contrast in the modes of storytelling for the show. Where like, that is setting up to a big reveal and has like a really huge thing. That's going to like have, a giant impact on the ongoing story. Whereas Tubula Rasa doesn't really, it's mostly set up, which is fine. I don't think it's bad at all. I just think, you know, I just enjoyed the episode. Yeah, me too. I I think almost every episode of the first season, most of the show, I'm very defensive about the quality of the show, even when people generally don't like it. But I think the first season doesn't really have any stinkers outright. Yeah. It's just kind of got, some of these where it's just more basic. Yeah. Back to the blank slate thing for a second. Yeah. Tabula rasa, that's Latin for blank mm-hmm. slate. And that refers to a concept that this philosopher came up with, his belief that humans are born without built-in mental content. And then that all gets filled in right. through your life experiences, which also seems like kind of a basic theory. Yeah. Like, yeah, what what's going to be in my head? Like fucking movie trailers when I'm right. Born? But that, I mean, yeah. that philosopher's name, do you know it? Yes. John Locke. I did know it. Yeah. Yes. John Just Locke. Like uh, John Locke on the show. Whoa. Oh, shit. Oh, that's interesting. I did, now, I didn't make that connection, but that is uh, <laughs> the name of a character on the show who uh, is the focus of the flashbacks in the next episode. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, but like, that is the thing that this show loves to do. And well, there will be a bunch more examples as time goes on, but. They love to have someone's name be like a famous philosopher or scientist. Coming up later this season, we're going to have Danielle Rousseau, and we're going to have Desmond, whose full name is Desmond David Hume. But like, it's just interesting because none of the characters who are named after philosophers, they're not really embodying that philosophy. Really. Yeah. It's one of those lost Easter eggs that seems like it doesn't mean that much. Yeah, it's just fun. Yeah. That's like, I think a lot of the philosophical and religious symbolism and like literary symbolism and stuff, like a lot of that, especially as time goes on and the people behind the show actually start to have like a clearer understanding of the final direction. Like I think it it gets a little more focused, but especially early on, like they're really just kind of buckshot, you know, just being like, here's a bunch of stuff. It's kind of fun. Like, it's kind of like how uh, like anime and manga, they'll use Christian imagery and Buddhist imagery very loosely just for flavor. It's just, this is like the vibe, you know, it's supposed to be kind of this religious vibe. So that's the that's the idea that you're supposed to get. It's like this is like it's supposed to be kind of philosophical, metaphysical, you know, like that sort of vibe. Yeah. Like how using demonology symbols in movies doesn't necessarily mean Hollywood is pushing an Illuminati conspiracy. on Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes it's just Saturn. Yeah. Sometimes it's just cool to look at, man. Exactly. Um, but so, yeah, uh, this episode is uh, is good. I think it's, I liked it. You know. Yeah, it was uh, it was good. They have they have a discussion up front. This like there's really no way for the show to avoid this thing where it's just a small group of people kind of making all the decisions for right. a larger group of people. Yeah. But in this case, they really don't talk about things with the rest of the group. No. 
case in point, early on, a group of them, it's Saeed, Sawyer, Kate, Boone, and whatever Maggie Grace's character was called. Shannon. Shannon. There we go. <laughs> and they're debating whether they should tell everyone else what they heard on that looped recording. Right. I think I would want to know mm -hmm. if I was just like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I would establish myself in a leadership position. Almost <laughs> of course. Yeah. You would be in one of the situations. Like I would be in that group, but right. If, if Cause then they tell Jack. Like, yeah. So it's, it doesn't even stay with that circle. Yeah. But yeah, Jack is just kind of accepted as the leader. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they don't tell everyone else the kind of hopelessness of that message that they heard at the end of the pilot. Yeah, I, I think that I think that makes sense. I, I, I think that's a, a fairly rational decision. It's not like they're I mean, you know, it's lost, so they might keep it hidden forever, but they mostly are yeah. just kind of, I think there are their basic ideas like, well, we can't tell people yet until we know what it what this is because like who knows we don't know if that's actually accurate they also have a discussion that i thought was interesting around the air marshal where jack mm. is rummaging through the fuselage trying to find all the antibiotics and pills that he can right. to keep this guy going and sawyer's like you sure you sure you yeah. want to waste all those pills on a guy who's for sure going to die? Yes. As opposed yeah. to saving those for all of us who have to live here? Exactly. And, uh, Again, I think I'm like on Sawyer's side in that argument. I think that's fair. I think that's kind of where the episode needs you to land. You know, you're, yeah. you're kind of by the end supposed to be like, this guy's dead. He's kind of gotta go. And he knows it even. But like, it is a good Jack story because he needs to be the guy who never stops trying to save a person's life. Like, that's the instinct that makes people kind of gravitate towards him as a leader. And that's why he's a doctor. And that's all that sort of thing. But like, yeah, it makes sense that he would obviously not want to be like, yeah, no, we should just murder this guy. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but it is funny that he doesn't like he should he should ask he should have asked the air marshal. He should be like, look, here's here's what's going on. And and I got to say, the air marshal is such an asshole. I'm so glad when he's, he dies. He's an asshole. And also, why didn't he ever ask Jack to kill him? Because he asked Kate. Yeah. He eventually asked Kate. And it's like, well, why don't you ask the guy who's been tending to you this whole time? Because he knows she's. A killer, and she'll do it. She's so cold-blooded. Yeah, yeah. Speaking a, of not communicating, they also agree Kate should have the gun, because no one realizes right. she's a bandit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's just very much like, oh, yeah. And, and that's also, not to dwell on the first scene, but, like, going back to how this is such a second episode of a TV show, like, they even do, like, a little model of, like, here's... Australia and here's our plane route, but we went off course, like yes. restating all of this stuff that we <laughs> learned in the pilot. Like it's very on the nose about that kind of thing. Yeah. The, the flashback with the farmer, I don't know that Kate really would have spent the night. I, I mean, I guess they're trying to tell us something else about Kate in that moment where the farmer catches yeah. her trying to run. He finds that she's been like stashing all her money mm -hmm. in a coffee can Right. And then he doesn't he, trust the bank. He he talks her into staying one more night and then he'll drive her to the train station. Is she going yeah, to Yeah, I think airport? that's that's the idea. It, the train station and then like as she as they're driving, she figures out that he actually knows that she's a criminal. Well, that not just that, but he called the cops. Right. And her. then he and he sold her out for the reward. Yeah. Which I don't know. I, I feel like Kate was good enough of a criminal that she would have probably sussed out what he was up to yeah i mean yes i i, but I don't know it, it's a minor it, detail it's a minor sticking yeah. point no absolutely i mean like any of these things like you know it's just kind of weird that she stays for a while and apparently has a good enough relationship with this guy that they become friends and it, it just is one of those stories where i don't know it just feels like kind of spinning wheels every little bit is just like yeah Okay, yeah, no, this is the beat that, that happens, and that's fine. And he also had so many opportunities to just yeah, call. Yeah, I guess he just... She was living there. Like, why wait? Well, that's the thing. That's where it's like, how long is she there? It's never really said. It's kind of a nebulous few nights or whatever. Yeah. So you don't really know 
if he's had enough time or you know she's been there a while because she pulls out that fat stack right. of cash from that coffee can. No, I know exactly, but again, it's like, but how long? Like that's yeah, that's well, that could be he, yeah, he could be paying her like ten grand a week or something. Right? Yeah, that's exactly. Why he he's paying pay his mortgage. Exactly. He's got a hell of a mortgage. The 23K will really make a huge difference (laughs) because he's paid her so much. Exactly. But like the fucking Marshall is such a dick in this chase. He like pulls up and like makes smirky faces at her and then like gets super aggressive and she uh, crashes their car, which, you know, is on her. But yeah. Also, there's no way that arrest would have been made with just one dude. Yeah. Like there would have been a team to make. Right, arrest like no, it's yeah, no, he's kind of a rope. This is what I'm saying. Like maybe uh, I think, and I think these are kind of supposed to be like you're supposed to be like, is this like the entirety of her search party? Is this every? It's so weird, like the way that the idea of her criminality is doled out in such a way. Like it's part of the nature of the mystery element of the show. Where like on a traditional show, on a on a show where mystery isn't quite so much the focus, especially character mystery. I feel like Kate's first flashback would have been her committing her crime and then right. you know being chased. And that's the start of her flashback. But instead, because of how Lost is kind of invested in adding mystery upon mystery, now what Kate did becomes such a huge thing that that can be an episode title. Yeah. <laughs> and like later on down the road. And then, then you see it and you're like, oh, okay. So she like actually, she actually didn't really do anything wrong. It's all just kind of a misunderstanding. Yeah. Like she killed someone, but like he deserved it. Right. Right. Which just makes the marshal seem like even more of an asshole, like a, a totally unreasonable asshole who chases her single-mindedly for no, and then like tries to kill her when he's unconscious on the island, which <laughs> is does. where I'm like, that is such a dick move you are on a goddamn desert island yeah like why do you give a shit about capturing a fugitive yeah someone should have just smothered that guy yes it would have been that's what would have been the humane thing sawyer wasted a bullet on him yeah how about that how about that part speaking of things that set up stuff that happens later i was reading up on this episode and that was actually a point of contention during production josh holloway was like how would sawyer miss that shot (laughs) and it actually sets up a moment later in the series where sawyer gets glasses he does get glasses yeah i do and i love him getting glasses and that's your explanation for why sawyer missed this shot it is not an explanation for why sawyer aimed for the heart instead of just shooting the the guy in the head but like i do think i I think that's a thing that objectively doesn't really make any sense like i mean or whatever who cares but like only explanation i can think of and even then they could have just inserted a moment where this comes up if he wanted to like have an open casket when (laughs) he died if he was like when he's tossed on the fire with everybody else listen dude i'm holding it together for clearly being in my 50s i want to leave a pretty corpse how about you shoot me in the (laughs) heart And Sawyer's like, okay, man. And then he fucking (laughs) misses and perforates his lung, which is low-key very funny. Because this air marshal's a piece of shit. He sucks. He's such a dick. I mean, him attacking her is such a dick move. I do think that, despite it being objectively nonsense, I do think Josh Holloway plays that moment really well. Oh, yeah. Where he's like, I had to do it. You know, he goes, his tough guy exterior immediately melts as soon as he realizes that the guy is still alive. And like, I think that's played really, really well, even in like, that's just kind of a testament to Josh Holloway's general solidness is he kind of elevates a character who is basically just a racist asshole for quite a few episodes, basically until his flashback. He's like, that's his whole character is that he's just a dick. Yeah. And it sets Uh, up that really sweet moment during the montage at the end where Saeed tosses him an apple. Yes. And he looks up and you can tell he was crying. Cause yeah. he really did botch euthanizing that air marshal. Oh man. He should have shot him in the head. I mean, like, look, I get it on like, he, again, like, I think the way that he plays it is like, you could tell he just didn't really think about it. 
it just he, he was just like, oh, I got to kill this guy. Fine, I'll do it. And then with total confidence, shot him in the wrong place. Yeah. Which is a Sawyer move. Oh, yeah, for sure. But yeah, no. And then, yeah, we get a nice little. Is this the first? I think this might be the first lost music montage. Yes, I believe uh, so. Which they love. They do them really well. They do it really well. And then it becomes like a little poignant plot moment later on when Hurley's Walkman runs out of batteries. Yeah. And like that, and it like and interrupts it. But yeah, and they, they play Lee Purdy's Wash Away, mm-hmm. uh, which is good. It's like, a, it's like a ukulele. It's a very 2004 kind of ukulele. Yeah, it's song. a song I would almost certainly not listen to on my own, but in this scene, it works really well. Yeah. The other really uh, interesting thing that I don't think we talked about is that this is the first episode, obviously, because it's the second episode that has a previously on yes. Lost. And that the voice of previously on Lost is Lloyd Braun, who is the ABC president who pitched the show, right. which I find fun. That's fun. Yeah, I like the scene where we find out the thing Locke has been whittling away at is actually a dog whistle. Yes, and yeah. he gets Vincent back, and that mm-hmm. I love that moment in that montage where it's just all, like, everything is so upbeat. Like, the series could have fucking ended with <laughs> Walt fucking hugging his dog, and I would have been yeah. like, man, they're going to be all right. Right, and, and then they cut fine. to Locke just glaring at Walt yeah. and the dog, and it's like, whoa, yeah, what is his problem? He seemed it, cool until now. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you know, there's a similar toss up at the end of the next episode as well. They kind of like to do that toss to the next one, but like all of Locke's stuff is very ominous, especially in these the pilot in this episode before they knew that. Locke was in a wheelchair, like, they didn't know that really while they were doing this. The idea for him to be in a wheelchair, they had that idea while they were writing episode three, Tabula Rasa. Yeah. And, yeah, episode four, it's called Walkabout. This is a good one. This is a quality episode of the television series Lost. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Both of these we should mention... Directed by Jack Bender, who is a regular uh, Lost guy. He's one of the most frequent directors, if not the most frequent director of the show. Yeah, Tabula Uh, Rasa was the first episode he directed. Yes. And yeah, this episode rules. Like, like, again, this is just such a perfect mission statement for the series. This is just like... Here's what we got. This is a big thing. And this is how we're, this is kind of what we're going to be going for from here on, as far as storytelling goes. Yeah. The juxtaposition between this episode and the episode before it, it almost feels intentional because like what they're portraying in this episode is Locke's life once he got to the island compared to before the island, which are two completely different things, but they're different almost in the same way these two episodes are different, uh, yeah. where episode three is just kind of boring and mundane. And if you're just starting out with a series, you might be like, is that all this is going to be? Like, we're just going right. to hear these motherfuckers' backstories, and it's not going to be anything that interesting. And then you get to this episode, right. and it's like, oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, kind of everything, everything's kind of out the window as far as yeah. expectations. It's yeah. like anything can happen. And it is so masterfully done. Like you said, all of the groundwork is laid very carefully, which is one of the things that makes it work, especially on rewatch. When you're watching it, knowing where it's ending up, there's so much emphasis on the first thing that we see is him waking up after the crash and like looking at his feet in amusement. And then like, there's so many different things where like, he's never standing up in the flashbacks. It's always like his chair is kind of obscured. It's just so well done. Yeah, the flashbacks are shot in ways that are meant to kind of speak to that contrast. Like there's a shot where he's in the hospital bed, or he's just in bed. It's not even a hospital bed, bed. But there's this big medical device next to him. Mm -hmm. And that's supposed to be your hint that he's Right. In a wheelchair. It's like a TINS, like it's like a yeah. neurostimulation device. But you also have to know what that is 
Right, so, exactly. I didn't when I yeah, was watching it. I would have assumed it's like a dialysis machine or some shit. Yeah, or like I, you know, or even like uh, some sort of like more advanced type of compression socks thing or something. Yeah. I don't know. Like I remember, it did not jump out at me. I don't think I knew the twist the first time I watched this. No, I I, I knew a few things about the first season because I, like I said, I caught up with it after it finished airing. Yeah, but, I didn't know anything about the twist when I first watched it when i saw those scenes where he was like wiggling his toes i assumed Mm -hmm. it was just him being like oh shit i'm alive right exactly as opposed to oh i can walk now right and that's like kind of how it plays but then like as it's going i feel like you start to think about like how often he's talked about the island being there is a miracle and how he does i mean he is dispositionally very different in the present day and in the flashback like he is much meeker and more put upon in the flashbacks, even before you know that he's paralyzed. Yeah, one of the things Jack Bender did to drive those differences home, the flashback scenes, there's very little blue or green. Yes, I love that. Because those are the predominant colors on the island, because they are in a jungle that is on the beach. Right. So obviously there's lots of blue and green. And yeah, and those flashback scenes, almost none. Because Locke's personality off the island compared to on the island could not be more different. Yes. Very in like, yeah, everything in his life is very beige and brown and dark and muted. Think of what a tough sell this show had. Like they had to sell us on the idea that this guy was happy. His plane fucking crashed. Right. Exactly. On this remote island. Like it yeah. changed his life for the better. Right. And that's that's a very unrealistic it is. idea, but they sell the shit out of it. And that's a thing that they explore in other characters in other ways. Like there are a lot of there's a lot of potential in a in a you know castaway type desert island story uh for reinvention about personal reinvention and, and that sort of thing that the show explores. But like this is just one of those plot elements that once it's revealed it immediately puts everything into a bit of a grander category. You realize you're playing with some much, like, you know that there's been this, the weird noise, like the monster noise that killed somebody. And like, there's a polar bear, but like, there's not been anything that is as overtly supernatural as this, that really makes you go, Oh, there's something really big. Yeah. And the way the episode starts, it almost kind of, blows up the idea that there's going to be anything supernatural happening because it starts, well, once they're on the island, Vincent, the dog, is doing a whole bunch of barking. Mm -hmm. And Walt's dad, Michael, played by Harold Perrineau, is like, man, you got to quiet that dog down. And I'm like, you sure you don't want to find out what that dog's barking about first? (laughs) Like, dogs don't usually just do that for no reason. And they hear this, like, weird growling noise and it's coming from the fuselage and so your mind goes to oh shit it's whatever that thing was that was making the trees move right right it's back but then no it's just no boars so it's a fun fake out there hasn't really been other there's only been the polar bear and the monster and that as far as life i think that does kind of make it seem very briefly like oh well this is going to be a little more straightforward yeah, of a thing than we thought because Kate's flashback. There's nothing really supernatural or crazy about it. No, and or this, in the present day stuff on that yeah. episode. And the way the monster is presented in the pilot, that could very well have also just been something running through the jungle because yeah, you never really a big see thing. it. Yeah, a big thing, but still. So I like that the way this kicks off. It makes it seem like maybe this show's going one way, and then by the end, it's like, oh, yeah. This is no. it's nothing like that. It's so absolutely good. so good. Lock episodes. They're always S tier. They're the best. Like yeah. there's only a couple characters who maybe surpass. Like I think Desmond episodes are also pretty much universally great, but he doesn't even come in until the second season. So right, you know, like especially in the first season, like Lock episodes, they've always got a really good hook, and there's always an interesting nugget at the center because he's such a fascinating character and his flashback persona where they just repeatedly run into the ground. What a 
fucking miserable bastard this guy is. <laughs> that he has just lived the most miserable, like unlucky, cursed life. <laughs> like yeah. as it is unfolded, it's just incredible. Yeah, like even there's the scene where they get charged by the boar mm-hmm. and Locke gets like very briefly kind of knocked out. Yeah. And when he pops up, he calls Kate Helen. Yeah. And you're like, oh, he might that that must be his wife. Yeah. And then you find out later, no, that's like a sex line operator right. that he's paying yes. eighty nine ninety five an hour to talk to, and it's just like, oh yeah. damn. And then you find and then you find out later that it was actually his girlfriend, but then that's a whole other yeah. thing that is also miserable. So Yes. <laughs> that's so good. You've seen the movie Office Space, I'm assuming. Of course, yes. There's and, an Office Space reference. Yes. In- this is a very Office Spacey kind of episode. Yeah. Like, because that's his whole, he's, that's his miserable worker drone life. J.J. Abrams wanted to call this episode The Lord of the Files. That's, it's fun. It's a, a good bit. Reference to Locke's life off the island. Yeah, that's fun. And they were like, the, the, the writers had committed to walkabout. It's like, yeah. well, change it. Who cares? No, no. Walkabout is a way better title. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Because, first of all, it, it's thematically interesting. And, yeah. like, it links directly into the episode. And, like, the idea of the spiritual journey and just all of it is so rich. Uh, yeah, no. Lord of the Files is very funny. Yes. But... They need like they and they have some episodes with jokier titles like that later on, but it, especially in the beginning, especially for how monumental this episode is, I'm glad that they went with <laughs> Walkabout. Yeah, the episode kind of centers around well, two things. One, this expedition to go hunt these boars. Yeah, there's a great scene where Locke whips a knife. Uh, in Sawyer's direction, rules. Jack is like, I don't know if you have bad aim or really right. good aim. That's uh, great. That's so good. All the knife stuff. Him being, you know, this is, and again, like, this is the, the great juxtaposition. Like, that scene is the immediate pre-flashback scene. And the jump from John Locke, badass Bushman, to John Locke, office drone, that alone, I think... In less ambitious shows than Lost, which is going to come up. I think this is a a thing we're going to say a lot, but like there are other shows that have done similar flashback things. There are other shows where that tell stories like out of chronological order, but other shows, the twist of him being an office drone in real life when he's a Bushman on the island, that would be enough. But no, on this, that's like revealed in the first scene. That's not even a twist. Yeah. That's just what it is. Barely matters. (laughs) Yeah. And like, it's surprising, obviously, because that's not kind of been his vibe. But, you know, like the whole first episode is Tabula Raza. Like, you know, by now that it's like you don't every whatever you think of these people on first blush isn't going to be their entire story, except for Boone and then who are basically exactly who they appear to be, which is sibling fuckers. They are the personification of step sibling porn. Yeah. And your flashbacks is so weird. <laughs> the other thing this episode kind of centers around is them burning the fuselage. Yes. Yeah. Burning the bodies, which I thought it was silly that that was even a discussion because yeah. they didn't have anything to bury the bodies with. And right. Jack is like, we got to burn them. And Saeed's like, they deserve better. And yeah. It's like, what? Getting eaten by wild boar? I mean, yeah, they deserved to not crash on a desert <laughs> island to die like they did deserve better that's what they deserved was a right. but unfortunately we live in this timeline where they did crash and it was a tragedy and they're all dead but like you can't have a bunch of smelly rotting corpses on the beach that's nasty that's gonna it probably already stinks all kinds of problems not the least of which it's gonna attract animals that yeah now we got boars them. yeah Come so on <laughs> So, yeah, a lot of it centers around this expedition and then also the buildup to them yes. burning the fuselage. The bigger conflict is Jack's continued reluctance to be a leader. He doesn't want to be a leader, and he clearly has some hangups about religion. Those are his those yes. are his big things that kind of get hammered home. That's the main conflict of that arc. 
because the burning thing was decided pretty quickly. They couldn't spend a lot of time on that. Right. It's very obvious. They kind of start to set up Saeed's backstory in this episode, but only in that he finds pictures of his wife among yeah. the wreckage, or Claire finds pictures of his wife. Yeah, there's a couple of these things that are scattered around the early episodes where it's just setting up that he has a backstory. Yeah. (laughs) Which is good. I mean, that's fine. Speaking of moments that are setting up something that's going to happen later, all the stuff with Rose seeming like she's mourning her husband who was on the plane with her. He was in the back tail section, which blew off. Yeah. And she's just been like sitting not talking, not doing anything. And Jack goes and talks to her and finally gets through to her. And he talks about them burning the fuselage and asks if she wants to come say something for her dead husband. Right. And she's like, my husband is not dead. Yeah. And Jack's like, everyone who was in the tail section is gone. And she says, they're probably thinking the same thing about us. Absolutely. Which, oh, good. Love it. I love it. It's a nice little seed. It's a it's a it's a nice little story seed. Yeah. For later. That they know that they're probably not going to get to this season, but it's still it's nice to have in your back pocket. Yeah, it, it opens up so many possibilities. I mean, the yeah. obvious one being the people in the tail survived somewhere too. New characters. That's a problem that the show very early on I think recognized was going to be an issue is that unlike most shows that are not set on a isolated desert island. It's very difficult to add new characters to the main cast when seemingly they're supposed to be alone on an island. Yes. So they plant a few of these little seeds of potential sources of new characters. And then in season three, of course, they try their most daring gambit yet with uh, <laughs> Allo and Nikki, uh, a thing that I enjoy, but, Definitely, you know, backfired, I think. They kind of realized that wouldn't work. And little bit. Yeah, it's a it's a struggle, but I love getting the hint here about the tail section. Because it's such a again, even though they don't do anything with it for a while, it's nice to have. Yeah. So <laughs> that's when the flashback happens with Locke talking to oh. Helen on the phone. Yes. And that's a huge bummer. This is something that didn't really occur to me while I was watching. I mean, like Locke is kind of an incel. Like obviously incel wasn't really a term in 2004, but like he's got a real incel vibe flashback and even present day Locke. And like, he's got his catchphrase. Don't tell me what I can't do. Yes. Which pops up a couple times on and off the Island in this episode. And that has really become Basically, the entirety of the right wing's ideology yes, is don't tell me what I can't do. And like, it's very easy to read a proto Proud Boy kind of arc into John Locke on this show. I think the way that his story ended up panning out was very shocking when I was watching it at the time. And it makes a lot more sense now uh, with like if you apply like kind of a modern political lens yeah. to it. Yeah, a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, it's just, I love that. And he, again, he's such a little incel with his with his uh, phone sex girlfriend, <laughs> who is clearly just so fed up with this weirdo who keeps calling her. For eighty nine ninety five an hour. God, that's, that's so much. That is very spendy. That is, you could have a healthy heroin habit for that. I mean, for real, or like, I don't know, man. Maybe get like a an in person call, girl. I don't know. Yeah, if like, you can spend that much money, like he. But yeah, whatever. He's so, he's also supposed to be not able to afford it. So yeah, but still, there's a scene where Evangeline Lily Kate climbs a tree to try and get this transceiver up higher to get a better signal, and it doesn't yes. work. I only mention that because she did her own stunts in that scene. Oh, she climbed that tree herself. Wow. That's interesting. Good for you. Now go get vaccinated. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I really was bummed out to, to, to learn about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a interesting scene in, in that same moment where it seems like Locke is confronted by the smoke monster. Mm, yes. Because he's 
obviously confronted by something. And when he sees it, he looks up, which would imply that it is not a wild boar. No, it's large. Hope not, unless it was like jumping from a tree, which is the most horrifying thing I could think of. Right. Or like an eight foot tall wild boar. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be crazy with like really long legs, but otherwise the proportions are the same. Yeah. No, that would be crazy. And they just head back and they're like, fucking monster got locked. He's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Cause well, yeah, they like Kate sees the monster, like, or, you know, at least sees the trees getting ripped out and shit. And yeah. So they all think that uh, he was gotten, but he wasn't. He just stared into the eye of the islands, I guess. But he says he didn't. Someone asked later if he got a look at that smoke monster thing. And he says he did not. No, he didn't. Because. Yeah, he does come back. He he, a, he got a board, which is a good moment. Yeah, I love it's a it. Cool moment. Also, that that's the first time we see Christian Shepherd. Is it? Yeah, it's around that time. Yeah, because uh, Jack sees someone like standing at the edge of the jungle, and then when yes. Jack looks at him, the guy runs back in, and yeah. we find out later that's Jack's dad. But yes, he's not played by the actor who would eventually play no. Christian Shepherd for real. But it was it, 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 he's far enough away yeah. basically looks I, I even watching it this time I didn't really notice that it wasn't John Terry. I, I basically I only knew I that because I was. researched the episode yeah. before we recorded it. Otherwise exactly. I don't know if I even would have remembered that that was Christian Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely remember that that's Christian Shepherd because for one thing that's another one of those clumsy Names that are like full of a reference meaning, yeah. like Christian Shepherd is such a comic yes. Christian name. And Jack runs in the jungle. I think Kate is with him. Someone's with him, and they yeah they run in after who Jack thinks he sees, and right. they don't see him, but they do see Locke dragging a big ass boar. Yep. So yeah, they're really setting up that power struggle too between Locke and yes. Jack that happens later. And they're the two logical choices to have a power struggle because well, one of and- them is being very philosophical and mystical about this. Right. And there's Jack who is all business, all business. Yeah. I mean, like this is the thing that they really land on as the season progresses is how well these two guys slot into this man of science, man of faith thing that is going to be like the major philosophical debate conflict in the show most of it's going to come down to jack versus Locke, which is why it's so huge later on and it's good it's much more of like an alpha thing in this episode because they don't really have a philosophical debate yet but it definitely is sowing those seeds and that becomes one of the best dynamics on the show yeah is the Jack Locke thing. And then there's... Because he's so infuriating to Jack. It's it's awesome. He gets so mad. And then we finally get the reveal about Locke at the end. They've they've been hinting at it because he keeps talking about going on this Australian walkabout tour. And everyone he says that to is like, you can't even do that. Yeah. Like like his his asshole boss, Randy. Yeah. Like, who pops up a lot in in flashbacks later on. I think Helen kind of yeah mentions also but like, that, like you, he's you like this be- is like eight miles it's on foot and you know that's one of those things where you don't n- notice the emphasis the yeah. first time you watch but because you think they're just saying it because he's old right yeah or like just kind of a fake tough guy and then he's in the office of this travel agency about to embark on this tour and having this argument and the guy's like no you lied to us you can't yeah go on this you misrepresented yourself and the <laughs> Like, you still don't know, like, what what did he lie about? And then at the very end, he fucking backs up in a wheelchair. And it's like, Uh, oh, shit. It's it's just, it fucking plays every time. It's so good. It just fucking works. It's such a great reveal. It, like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's perfect. Yeah. Like, what a a perfect twist execution. This, yeah, the, the way that it's shot and, like, you're in the emotional moment with him. Like you're feeling the devastation and then you're blown away. And like, and he's so angry and like, he's yelling, don't tell me what I can't do, which is again, just such a mantra. And uh, yeah. And then it cuts to like a little brief montage of the same kind of moment after the 
wreck where he wakes up on the beach and is like amazed. And these are all reshot yeah. scenes that yes. we shot to fit in, which is cool. Like it yeah, looks like it's from the pilot. Very little of it is from the actual pilot. I imagine like the scene yeah. of Maggie Grace screaming. Like I think like at least from what I saw, the only one that they mention is like the the brief moment where Jack like yells at him. Oh yeah. From- is from the pilot, but like at least all of the stuff of him standing up in like wonder and amazement is all just perfectly matched and just so, so good, good. And you're just like, again, you're still kind of in the shock waves of the reveal in that moment. It just, it's it's so, it's just great. It's perfect. It's a perfect episode of television. It's great. It's really like, there's a reason David Fury was nominated for an Emmy for this episode. Absolutely. He deserves it. Like the, this whole thing, like this is wh- like, it's why I love when TV is TV. Like if that makes any sense, yeah. you know, like instead of the, the more common thing right now, which is kind of very long movies that are indiscriminately divided up into hour long segments. Yes. Like be having this thing where you're on this emotional journey with Locke. And there is a very clear emotional story that he's on and it pays off so well. And it sets up a type of storytelling that is only possible in television. Right. Is this sort of thing where it's every week you're getting an hour with these people and you're going to learn a little bit more and you're going to find out that there's even more stuff to figure out. Like each episode, that's the perfect loss thing. It's, you know, it's where it started to lose people was when it had to start answering more questions than to ask, which is not what it usually did. Right. And like, it's so, because it's so good at every answer raises like 10 more questions. Yeah. Such a good show. It rules. It's so good. That's, I mean, that's pretty much the end of the episode. There's another shot where they're finally burning the fuselage and Locke is just looking at his wheelchair smiling. I'm assuming that wheelchair is going to get burnt with the fuselage. It seems like that's, that's kind of like the application, but I think it sticks around. I think it's, I, I can't remember. It's been too long since I've watched the show. It's one of the reasons I'm excited to rewatch it is uh, there's so much that I remember, but don't remember all the specifics, but I wouldn't be surprised if the wheelchair, I, cause I know that there's a couple of episodes where the plot is, he is physically incapacitated yes. in some way because it's so traumatic to him. Yeah. So yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm like, this is just these these two episodes again. They're just a good pairing. Yeah. Uh, I think I you know I don't think necessarily the the pairing is going to be so thematically rich uh, it, coming up because like these two episodes just so perfectly illuminate like the different kind of uh like storytelling speeds of lost yeah they really kind of encompass what the show is in general because again the kate episode like that's that's the jack science episode that's the very straightforward like there's not all that much mystery to what happened here she's just uh someone who's on the run and we find out later there is more to it but there's a pretty big mystery in that which is why the fuck did the marshal strangle her when he's on a goddamn remote (laughs) desert island it doesn't make any sense yeah he knows the predicament he's in exactly come on now and yeah and then walkabout is a is way more just opening up the mythology of the show and, yeah. and just such an exciting way. Yeah. Watch them both. Yes. Watch, watch them the all. Show. And uh, on the next episode, we'll be covering the next two episodes. We're going yes. in order, you know, makes the most sense with this show. Yeah. It's white rabbit. And then house of the rising sun. Yes. Yeah. So it's a Jack episode and a sun episode, which is, I'm glad I'm excited. I'm glad I'm ready for sun. There's a couple of, Jin and Sun moments in these episodes. They're all weird. Like the one where Michael just happens upon Sun when she's topless. Right. It's so weird. Like Like they're they really awkward, but we didn't need that tension. Yeah. They really uh, they clearly don't quite know what to do with those two characters yet. It felt like they were building up to those two because Sun's husband. What is his name in the show? Is it Jin? Jin. Yeah. Jin. He's such an asshole. In the beginning, especially. Yeah. yeah. Like at one point in one of these two episodes, he straight up says, look at your clothes. 
Like you're so yeah. disheveled. Why don't you go clean yourself up? But then it's, he's also it, like, I love you. It's yeah. like, man, it's you're one an of, asshole. It's one of the things that they have to really work on. Yeah. Like as within the flashbacks to be like, no, actually this is a story that you should care about. But unfortunately, we didn't quite have it at the beginning. Yeah, it felt like they were maybe setting up a thing where Michael and Son, like, get together. And I'm glad that. Oh, absolutely. Like, work. It doesn't happen. You know, unfortunately, I mean, I I imagine part of the reason that that didn't happen is for the same reason why Michael's storyline is unfortunately kind of handicapped is because he's tied to Walt and they can't, they realize very early on if they haven't realized yet they know very soon that it was a bad idea to cast a 10 year old kid they should have just done it like that angelina jolie movie the changeling where oh just a whole different kid shows up and they're like yeah here's your kid and he's like fucking no it's not that's oh like make it a plot element yes Yes. That would be interesting. I mean, they do play with just that. Just keep bringing him new, a fresh new 10-year-old every couple yeah. of seasons. Yeah, oh my god, that would be funny. But, like, they do play with Walt as a plot device later yeah. on, like, as a mystical plot device, but I'm glad they didn't do I feel like that might have been mildly problematic to just have, just replace the young black kids. Like, yeah. just well, no, they would announce that, you know, like, Aunt no, Viv, it makes sense if it's like a Aunt plot Viv on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Right, of course, exactly. Just like Aunt Viv, a great situation that wasn't fraught with a bunch of drama. <laughs> that's what you want to. That's what you want to work from. Uh, so, so the next episodes are going to be fun. They're going to be fun. All these episodes are going to be fun. Uh, they're going to be show. good. It holds. I'm up. so excited. Until those episodes, do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? Uh, I mean, if you're listening to this show, you probably listen to Conspiracy, the show. I would. I can't think imagine that you so. don't. Yeah, I mean, if you don't, that's fine. Like, but you should. It's and fun. If, and if you're hearing this right now, you probably subscribe to bonus episodes of Conspiracy the Show because we're putting exactly. them out for subscribers first. So thank you so much. Keep on doing that. Absolutely. We'll probably do some bonus episodes also that are just available to subscribers. But eventually, these for episodes sure. about the actual show will be going up yeah. for free. But I've got some. I've got some bonus episode ideas that will be fun later on. If you're subscribing, you're getting them early. So keep doing that. And uh, I don't really even follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam Todd Brown. That's Todd with one D. Follow the show at Conspirapops on Twitter and Instagram. And Olivia, do you have anything to plug? Nope. All right. Not really. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Let's get out of here. Olivia, say goodbye. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. (laughs) 